morning, everybody. It's Jeff Goldberg for the Sales Pro Network. As some of you know, I'm a sales coach and trainer. I work with both individuals and organizations internationally to help them achieve measurable and sustainable sales increases. And I founded the Sales Pro Network about two years ago. It's almost three. Wow, time flies. To elevate the profession of sales, to give salespeople a place to hang out, talk to each other, network, learn, and excel. As you know, every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern, we either do a live training or a live interview with somebody who can add value to the profession of sales. And once again, we have no slouch today, my friends. If you're watching us live, please say hello in the comments. If you're watching us live on Facebook, but you have not connected your account to StreamYard, it's just going to say Facebook user, so we won't know your name. Please do put your name in there. And if you have any questions for our guest during today's interview, please put them there, and I will absolutely pass them on. And finally, if you're watching us on the replay, please put replay in the comments. And with that, it's my pleasure to introduce you to Stuart Taylor. Stuart is the author of Problem Prospecting and also the sales director at Alego. Good morning, Stu. Morning, everyone. Great to see you, my friend. Uh, before we get going on all these questions I have for you, uh, could you maybe give us the two or three minute version of your background? What brought you up to this point? Yeah, that's that's condensing it a lot. Um, I started out in sales, left school, didn't get a degree, didn't get a qualification as such, left school, worked hard to make some money, had some awful jobs in pretty rubbish sales industries like selling um, insurance and selling used cars. Um, finally found my way into software sales about 14 years ago now um, and felt like I'd arrived in Disneyland um, and basically grasped that opportunity with both hands. I've been an SDR, I've been an account executive, I've been a manager and a leader of SDRs and account executives. So I feel like I've kind of earned my stripes um, and been there and done pretty much every role there is in sales. Um, and now similar to what you said, Jeff, you know, elevating the sales profession is a real passion of mine. That's what I want to do. I want to give other people the opportunity to have an awesome career in sales that I've had the luxury of. Um, and that's my, you know, my passion now to give a little back and help as many people as they can, as can be successful in this in this career and this crazy ride we call sales. I love that. Still, why do you think software sales is what really clicked for you? Great question. It was the whole environment of sales. Um, you know, sometimes in the industries I'd worked in prior, um, it wasn't as respected. The opportunities weren't as valued, um, and I don't think as a salesperson you were valued by the organizations I was at in those industries. You know, you were seen as a commodity. In software, that changed. There was a supportive culture. I landed on my feet at a good organization that gave me coaching, development, support, um, and it, it was like nothing else. And, you know, I think earning my stripes, as I said, and having those hard jobs beforehand in those tough industries really made me appreciate what I had. And that's why I grasped it with both hands. And, you know, like I say, I'm passionate about helping other people have that opportunity in, in getting this getting this chance that I've had. I got it. And, and you know, I have to say that, you know, when you find something you really appreciate, you enjoy, you can get behind, it's much easier to sell than when you're selling something that you don't believe in. And I think we've probably all been there during our careers at some point. But once you get that uh, that passion for, I really know I can help people with what I'm offering here, whether it's a product or a service, it becomes much easier to sell. And you said something else, which I think is crucial. You know, they gave you the training and the coaching that you needed. So often, I mean, I've been in sales almost 50 years and I've been with a lot of companies as both a coach and trainer and as an employee. And so often you join a company and they say, go get them kid. And that's all the training you get. Can you speak a little bit about the importance of training and coaching? Yeah, that's speaking my language. In the first sort of 10 years of my career was exactly that. It's almost there's a phone book, there's a mobile phone, a company car in some industries you can go make things happen, you know, get results. And that was it. That was the, the level of the support that you got. And um, that's why, you know, 
the, the prior 10 years, my career didn't really go anywhere. I moved around a little bit, you know, my salary never really increased. I worked hard and didn't get the rewards I felt I deserved. I managed to stay above water because I worked hard and I, you know, had something about me and a little bit of drive, but I didn't really have any, any kind of training or I didn't know what was working and why it was working. And then I arrived in software sales and I started to get that training and coaching. And it honestly was like a drug to me. Once I was getting, I wanted more and more and more. I was addictive because I was getting the results. I was getting better. I was making more commission. I was starting to enjoy the job. You know, I, I almost was that typical reluctant salesman who didn't know what else to do, landed in the world and couldn't get out. And I almost prior to that was looking for ways out, thinking, what could I do to get out? And then when I started to get training and coaching, like you say, things clicked and I started to think, actually, I can make a good career of this. And, you know, like I say, however many years now, it's it's been a fantastic ride. And now I'm at that point in my career where I'm still a salesperson. I still, you know, have my fingers in deals and I still lead a team, but I'm also super passionate about doing things like this and writing the book where I can help other people have, you know, the opportunities that I've had. But training and coaching is fundamental to my success. Without it, I don't know where I'd be. I might have left and been a post person or something and delivered mail and just had enough of the whole sales career, but I'm thankful I got that coaching and development or who knows where I'd be. Yeah, uh, there are certainly a bunch of traits and characteristics which tend to make somebody, <coughs> excuse me, more likely to succeed at sales, but it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to. And it's really when you treat it like a career, when you read the books, you go to the seminars, you get the help you need. That's when people really succeed. I mean, it, I, I often say that sales is not rocket science. If it was, I couldn't do it. But there are. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, I also often say you only need half a brain to be in sales, but you do need at least half a brain and that drive that you talked about that you already had, but it's without the guidance, without the help, without somebody saying, here's what you need to do, or you taking it on your own and reading the books and going to the seminars. I mean, that, that's all I did. I was very fortunate uh, that my, my career started out with Encyclopedia Britannica and they had incredibly great training. It wasn't that I was some sales genius, although I've, I've become very good at it over the years, but it was just, they trained me exactly what to do. And the reason for my success there was I did exactly what they told me to do. I was too stupid to do anything else. So all I did was, okay, I think these guys must know what they're talking about. They've been in business a long time. So all I did was go out and do exactly what they told me to do. And it's it's when you, 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 you also said, you know, uh, and I read on your website that, you know, Almost nobody goes to school and says, I want to be a salesperson when I grow up. But it is a career where you can make a heck of a lot of money and help a lot of people if that's what you want to do. Totally. Yeah. And it makes the world go around. You know, sometimes sales is a dirty word, but I absolutely push back against that now. And probably 15 years ago, I thought that, you know, I'd be a little bit embarrassed maybe to tell people I worked in sales. People would almost look down the nose of me when I said I was a salesperson. Now I'm the opposite. You know, I, and I'll talk to anybody who listen about the world of sales and how awesome it is. But you're right. It comes back to making it a career. You know, I always I'm a big sports fan and I always look to the analogies of sport. But if you want to be a good golfer, you don't just go on the driving range or you just go and play golf all the time. You get a coach. You look at what you're doing. You try to improve. You learn, you know, and, and that's the same as anything. If you want to be good at sales, like you said, Jeff, you've got to put the work in. You've got to learn. You've got to get better because a lot of, and the vast majority of salespeople are plodding on, getting by in blissful ignorance of how good they actually could be and, you know, the difference it could make to their careers. And that's sad. That's in my opinion, because we could be way better as a, as an, as a profession sales. And, you know, I'm trying to play a little piece in, in, in uplifting and, as you said, elevating the profession. Yeah, I, I, I love the example that you gave of golf because Tiger Woods, 
possibly the best golfer in history, certainly one of the greats. At one point, he had seven coaches on his payroll, seven coaches, and he was already the number one golfer on the planet. You got to invest in yourself. Good morning, Tony Volpe. Good to see you here. Good morning, Brian Keith McDale, a great sales coach in his own right, a sales confidence coach. Good morning, Bruce Kasserman, and good morning, Don Levine. So I want to talk about your book because Problem Prospecting, what a name. Uh, I, I read the reviews on Amazon, phenomenal. I mean, 99% of them are just raving about the book. Why Problem Prospecting? Why that title? Yeah, so it's a play on words. So it's a book for people who have a problem with their prospecting. So if your prospecting efforts aren't as good as what you would like them to be, it's written for you, which is very common in our industry. You know, prospecting's hard. It's not the easiest thing in the world. You know, you're interrupting people's day and trying to generate interest. Um, so it's a, it's a tough gig and it's a play on words because it's a, for people with problems with prospecting, but also it's leading with problems because problems are what get your prospect's attention. Most people make the mistake of prospecting and talking all about themselves. Here, Jeff, I'm from Malego. We're an award-winning sales enablement solution that does X, Y, and Z. And within 90 seconds, you're asleep. Whereas problem prospecting is leading with problems somebody in your position likely has that I can help you solve. And if you have those problems, guess what? You pay attention. And it sounds like I'm an expert who knows your world and my solution is geared towards solving your problems. So it's making it all about the prospect and what their likely problems have. We're trying to find out prospecting. Does a prospect have the problems? If they do, potentially we can be the solution to those issues. Um, but it's all just changing that because that was a night and day moment for me in my prospecting career. I would make hundreds of phone calls. I would send hundreds of emails and it was all about the product I, I represented, you know, how great it was, everything we did. And when I changed that and made it all about the prospect and the things they were trying to trying to achieve or the problems they had, you know, it was a real light bulb moment for me and changed the game entirely. So it's a book we wrote that we never had. As I mentioned, when I started my career, I got very little guidance. It wasn't as easy, you know, to, to upskill yourself now with YouTube and, you know, people like yourself doing this for the community and what's on LinkedIn and various other resources. That didn't really exist when I started out. I'm, I'm showing my age now, but there wasn't really that kind of resource available. Um, and we, I just got by and I've made so many mistakes. If I'd had a coach, if I'd had a guide, you know, I don't know where I'd be today. I'm happy with where I am, but I, I definitely probably could have got here 10 years sooner. Um, and the book's written for people who don't have that as well, because unfortunately, as you said, Jeff, not everybody has the luxury of, you know, being developed, having a coach where they work. So the book's kind of the Bible I never had to try and help people, you know, in the SDR world or in prospecting roles where they can become successful. I, I think if the, the listeners, people who are listening live or watching live or who listen on the replay, only walk away with one thing, the one thing you just said is enough to make it worth their while, which is it's not about you. Uh, you know, I'm the greatest coach in the world. Uh, Jeff Goldberg and is the greatest training company. Nobody cares about you. They care yeah. about themselves. So we really, I, I was talking to somebody just yesterday, uh, one of my coaching clients who had sent me an email saying, what do you think of this? I'm like, uh, I, I think it's great if all you want to do is brag about how terrific you are. But let me give you another example. And like you, I'm assuming like you, I often sell to vice presidents of sales. So I, I said, why not start out with something like this? You know, a lot of the vice presidents of sales I speak to on a regular basis tell me that their sales cycle is way too long. 
Well, that's something that I know and you know that almost every vice president of sales says to themselves, how do I shorten my sales cycle? So you're grabbing their attention immediately with something you know to be true for them. And they're they're doing exactly what you're doing right now. They're, they're reading it and they're nodding their heads. Hopefully that gets them to read on for the next few sentences and hopefully make a way for people like you and me to get in there and, and actually have a chat with them. It's never about us. It's always about them. No, and, and that extends to every method of you know prospecting and discovery and demoing and closing deals. It's never about you. It's not about your product. You know, the best discovery calls that we do as a business, we hardly mention a Lego. We focus on the problem that the prospect has, what they're looking to achieve, you know, digging into the pain levels. And that's it. We very rarely mention a Lego. We wrap that up and summarize it as this is the solution at the end, but very much at the end when we're presenting the solution to the problem. So, yeah, totally aligned. That sounded like one of our cold calls, Jeff. What you've just described in an email there sounded like the cold calls we try to make. So definitely aligned there. Yes, and I know you're a fan of somebody who I'm also a fan of, Jason Bay uh, from Blissful Prospecting. The guy's just a genius at this stuff. I, I love his stuff. Uh, one of the chapters in your book talks about how do we know, how can we know our ICP? Would you tell everybody what that means for anybody who doesn't know and how can we know them? Yeah, so your ICP is your ideal customer profile. So it's the person who is most likely to have the problems you solve is the short way of looking at it. The ideal customer, if I can say to anybody who's watching or listening, if you would pay $500 or 500 pounds, depending on where on where in the world you are, to speak with one prospect, describe that prospect to me, that's your ICP. That's the ideal customer who's most likely to buy. And the best way to determine that is to look at your best value customers what customers grow the most, what customers don't churn, what customers are advocates for your product and give you no know, referrals into other people. Start to analyze your client base and find those you know, Goldilocks prospects, if you like. And then your job as a salesperson is to find more of them. But it makes things so much easier because you're not pushing rocks up hills anymore. You're not trying to sell a solution to people who might get a need for it and might be a good fit. Like you said, VPs of sales, when you speak to them, you likely know they've got the challenges that you're describing. So it makes the whole sales process much easier. Your marketing speaks to that ICP. All of your outreach speaks to that ICP. Your product roadmap is to cater for that ICP. Everybody's singing on the same hymn sheet in an organization, and it makes sales so much easier when you can nail that ICP. Yeah, I, I would take it one step further. Not only is your ICP the person who's most likely to buy from you, it's also the person that you want to do business with. Cool. Uh, I have a, a set of criteria that I'm very specific about for who I want to do business with. And I don't do business with everybody who says, hey, Jeff, I'd like to pay you some money and come train my team, <laughs> or come coach my people, because yeah. I, I want to work with a certain type of person, uh, whether it's that I'm, you know, later on in my career, I'm a little bit more successful than maybe a beginning salesperson. And, and I can afford to turn away business because I am constantly prospecting for new people. But, you know, it, it, it doesn't make sense to me to waste time with people that you don't want to hang out with. So totally. for me, it's what I want to hang out with you. Am I going to have fun with you? Are you going to take my advice? I, yeah. I, I don't like working with people who are willing to pay me money, but don't want to take the advice they're paying me for. It's like, wait, save your money. Exactly. And it might that, that could impact your re reputation, Jeff, because they're not taking your advice. They're probably not getting the results. And then that puts a slur on you and the services you provide. But that, that's a massive point and probably a talking point in itself. Salespeople need to be better at qualifying our prospects who aren't a good fit for them. 
a lot of salespeople just want to sell and they want to bring as many clients in as possible, whereas good salespeople like yourself know how to identify who's an ideal customer and will actually push away and qualify out people who they don't want to work with. It's a two-way street. It's a partnership. It's not. It, it's it's all about that and getting that you know getting that balance. So it's a really valuable point and. It's, it's what good salespeople do. Maybe it's where average salespeople are a little bit desperate and want to work with anybody. Yep. Uh, I hear a lot of talk these days about, you know, ditch the elevator pitch. You don't need an elevator pitch anymore. And I think you and I disagree with that. Uh, what, are, what is an elevator pitch and what are some of the elements of a good elevator pitch? Yeah, so I would say ditch an elevator pitch if your elevator pitch is all about you and your product. So, you know, if you go to a trade show, for example, next time you're at a trade show, now we're allowed to travel again and go to events, just walk up to the booth and just say to a salesperson, what do you do? And I guarantee 90% plus will start talking about themselves and their product. It's a real problem in our industry, whereas either some will ask a question, which is better, you know, so I can make it relevant to you, Jeff, tell me a bit about your world, and you can start to tailor it to them, or they lead with problems as you did. You know, if, if you if I walked up to you and I was a VP of sales, you could say, we work with VPs of sales like you, Stu, who are getting super frustrated because deals are taking longer to close than what they should in the pipeline and things are dropping out and they're losing deals that they should be winning, but they've no idea why we solve that. That's a completely different elevator pitch to, we're a Lego, we help sales leaders, blah, 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 blah. We've got all these awards. It's a waste of time. If your elevator pitch sounds like that, ditch it and start leading with problems and making it about your prospects. And those elevator pitches are super, uh, super effective. Yeah, uh, I'm in a networking group for 18 years that about 30% of my business comes from. And you know, most people, of course, at a, at a networking event you, or a group, uh, you have to give your elevator pitch. Here's who I am, here's what I do. But I, I love what you said, you, know, you, you lead with a question. So when I'm at my networking group or if I'm invited to a networking group as a guest, it's always, did you ever interact with a salesperson that you just wanted to smack them in the face because they were so bad at their jobs? Yeah. I yeah, work absolutely. with people like that to turn them into people you'd like to do business with. Nice. Nice. Yeah, it's a great line. Comedy always helps as well. When you can make somebody laugh, you're halfway there. I do my best. <laughs> uh, about a month ago, you posted something about the emergence of ChatGPT, which it's on everybody's mind these days, as it should be. And you, you said that with the emergence of ChatGPT, prospecting emails are going to become less effective. Why is that? And why do you believe that cold calling will still be effective, even though emailing may not be? It's the personal touch. And you know, the better chat GDP gets at crafting emails, which it will, you know, there's, there's no doubt that's gonna get better and it'll be harder and harder to distinguish that from a, from a human. Um, prospects will just be getting bombarded with them. You know, there's lazy salespeople out there who'll be sending a thousand emails a week through chat GDP. But what that means is our prospects will be absolutely swamped with emails. They are already, but you can cut through the noise now. If you write a really well-crafted email that is personalized for that individual, has problems in the, the messaging, then you can cut through that noise now. That works. But as chat GDP catches up and can do more of that, that's just going to mean that emails are going to be way less effective. The reason the phone, in my opinion, will still stay is that personal touch. It's that connection. You know, you can only have one phone call at a time. I've picked up the phone to ring you. And if you're good on the phone, it's still the number one tool for building pipeline. And I think that is actually only going to enhance and only going to be a stronger prospecting method for everyone. Yeah, I, I have this conversation people with, with people constantly. You know, is cold calling still working? Did it ever work? Will it work when the black holes swallow the sun? Uh, 
I say exactly what you do, which is cold calling is still the most cost effective and time efficient way to fill your calendar with appointments if you know how to do it well and you do it both effectively and consistently. If not, you're wasting your time. You might as well just stand on the side of the road with a sign saying, in our case, sales training here or sales enablement here. Uh, but but it, if you're good at it and you do it consistently effectively, it, it, it should, I say it should be part of almost every salesperson's prospecting mix. Agreed. 100%. Yeah. And, and that's the key thing. I think most people who say cold calling is dead or it doesn't work, the uncomfortable truth for them is they're just not very good at it because it does work. I, I've not been, I coach independent, you know, sometimes a little bit like yourself to a, to a lesser degree, but I coach people and often they'll come in and say, oh, cold calling just doesn't work in our industry or it just doesn't work for our prospects or they don't like receiving cold calls. And the first thing I do is say, let's get a list of your ICP and let's call them together and we'll find out. And I'm still yet to be proven otherwise that it doesn't work. So the, until somebody proves otherwise, I think it works for everybody. I'm with you. Let's see what people are saying. Uh, good morning, Jeff and Stu, and thanks. We don't know who you are because you're not connected to StreamYard, but uh, hi, Facebook user. Uh, <laughs> the confident sales coach says, blissful ignorance of how good they could be. Great line, Stu. I agree. Jason Collins, excellent salesperson and bass player for one of my favorite Pink Floyd uh, cover bands. Oh, good nice. morning, Jason. Uh, somebody says, it's all, 100%. It's all about the solution, now, not about us. Somebody says, I hang up on folks that can't pitch. <laughs> Good for you. And in person is the best way you get to read the customer's body language. That's Phil Danielle, who's a great salesperson and great sales leader in his own right. Really a terrific guy. Um, you talk about effective cold calling in, in, in your book. I mean, that's, uh, there's, that's a lot of the book. Um, what are some of the things that sellers do both right and wrong when they're cold calling? The first thing that everybody does wrong is they don't do enough of it like you said you need to be consistent and that is for every salesperson so sometimes salespeople get to a position where they think they're above prospecting but every salesperson i've ever worked with that's at the top of their game and i mean you know the top 10 percent of sellers always continues to prospect and cold calling plays a big part of that so that's first and foremost you've just got to do it it's just one of those things that you've got to do consistently because it's too easy to neglect. You've got to have that discipline. Um, in terms of mistakes, it's a little bit like what we've already discussed. People talk about themselves. Hey, Jeff, I'm calling from a Lego, um, blah, blah, blah. You know, things that are not interested, they make it about themselves. And they don't practice is the big thing for me. The, the, the epidemic or the problem in, in sales, in my opinion, is a lot of sellers are practicing on their prospects where you should be practicing, you know, role playing, recording yourself, listening back to your conversations to hone that craft. Like you said, if Tiger Woods has seven coaches, Stu, who works for a Lego, should definitely have a coach. You know, I'm not an elite professional seller. I'm just somebody who's working hard and trying to get better. But the value of a coach is huge. So it's, it's always trying to get better, you know, practicing and getting better. But I think role play should actually be called practice because that's what it is. Yeah, you definitely don't want to practice on your prospects. Years and years ago in the days of disco, that's how old I am. You said you're giving away your, I'm even older. Uh, I used to competitively dance with a partner and she, she had a saying, you don't rehearse on the dance floor. You rehearse in the studio. Professionals plan, professionals prepare. They're ready. When you, when you pick up that phone, every time you dial it, there's a pro potential prospect there that may pick up, may have a conversation with you and may enable you to feed your family. Absolutely. It's not the time to practice. And one of the things that I'm constantly stunned by is when I, especially when I first start working with a new coaching client, and you know, they're complaining that they're not getting enough appointments. I want to see their calendar because here's one thing I almost never see on their calendar, prospecting time. 
It's the most important thing you can do every day. Why, why is it not on your calendar? It doesn't make sense. 100%. And that, that's another really good point, Jeff. Having that you know plan in place so you know what you've got to do. So cold calling from 10 till 11, you know what you've got to do. You've got to get your head down. You've got to block, block out all the distractions and get on with it. We live and die by our calendar now. My wife puts things in my calendar because she knows I, I'm a slave to my calendar. So it'll be pick the pick my little girl up from nursery goes in my calendar or whatever it was because I just live by that. So you're right. You've got to have it in there and you've got to have it in there every day. And that's how you become you know consistent. And that's what gets the results for sure. Yeah, what you just said is a whole nother topic. And I believe I'm with you 100%. Everything, everything goes on your calendar. I too am a slave to my calendar. Here's how I know what to do next during the day. What's next on my calendar? Because every time you sit down at your desk or are somewhere and you want to figure out what should I do next, you're going to waste five to 15 minutes just thinking about what to do next instead of moving from thing to thing to thing and being productive. I mean, it. It, 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 again, it's not rocket science. There's some very simple things that we salespeople can do that are almost guaranteed to make us more money. And calendarization, putting everything on your calendar is absolutely one easy way to be more productive. 100%. And one tip which works really well for me for, for, for the watchers is have those intense periods where you focused on the task. But give yourself a little bit of an incentive. You know, I don't function properly until I've had three coffees on a morning. I've got, a, I've got a six month old, so sleep's a luxury in our house. So I, I need to make sure I have my coffee, but I say to myself, right Stu, you've got to do X, Y, and Z before you can have your coffee. And guess what? I get those tasks done in half the time so I can get that coffee. And it just means that period is really intense. You know, when you actually block everything out, distractions and put your head down, you can achieve much more in a far shorter you know, period of time than what you actually think. And that's the key to, to making the most of your time as well. Yeah, I, I don't drink coffee, but when I used to cold call actively on a daily basis, which I don't do anymore, but because I don't have to, but uh, my game was I'm not going to make I'm not going to allow myself to go to the bathroom until I either speak to somebody or get on a plane. Some game like that, because that's a I, well, that's I don't drink coffee. That's a very strong motivator for me. That's and extreme. There were, and there were definitely days where I was sitting in my chair with my legs crossed, going, "Oh my God, please somebody pick up the phone. Please have a conversation with me." But you you need something to drive you, no matter what it is. Uh, Good morning, Ray Aurora. Good to see you here with us today. Uh, somebody is telling us I'm now using a new calendar solution, G Reminders, and have my wife attached, which she knows what I do. And Jason says, I tell the representatives I work with that I'm here to help them build and practice their commercials pitches and the prospective clients they have in their sites. Jason's a great, not only a good salesperson, a great sales leader. Um, what about voicemail? This seems to be the bane of everybody's existence. Should I leave a voicemail? Should I not leave a voicemail? Does anybody ever call back? What I hear all the time is nobody ever calls back. In fact, I'm constantly stunned by how stupid we can be. People who tell me I don't leave voicemails because nobody calls back. Well, if you don't leave a voicemail, they can't call you back. So any tips on getting your voicemails returned? Yeah, so I've got a little bit of a different play on this. So my tip to leaving voicemails is absolutely you should leave them. You know, it's it's your elevator pitch. You can give somebody that elevator pitch. However, I don't ask people to call me back. So what I'll do, I'll call you. I'll be here, Jeff, um, calling regarding X, Y, and Z. You know, that elevator pitch about how we help people like you. No need to call me back. I'm going to drop you an email with the subject line X, whatever it is, something personalized if I can. Hit me back on email. Oh, by the way, it's Stu. And the last thing I mentioned is me. The beginning of it's all about them, why I've called, and I'm referring to that, them to that email. And what happens, we get that email we send after, which I'm typing out as I'm making the voicemail, so it's really super quick and efficient. We get the highest reply rate of any of our emails to that particular email. 
it works it works such a such, such a treat it's a, we call it like a triple threat it's a phone call voicemail and an email all within kind of three or four minutes of each other and that that email at that final step gets the highest response rate of any email that we send once again our friend jason bay says the exact same thing i mean i i love it you know uh you need to be working a system it's it's not just cold calls alone it's not just emails alone it's everything in con uh, conjunction with each other that seems to be working best these days so what are some of the other things that we can do to fill our calendar and our pipeline great question so much you know there's so much and, and people are you know leaving this to chance at the minute and that, that's the problem but like you said you have to take ownership of it as a salesperson a great mentor of mine a long time ago, and it is a little bit cheesy, but he says in sales, you know, your desk or your job is your business. You are in control of your own destiny. You're that CEO and you've got to make things happen. And I think having those plans in place to always be running prospecting are crucial. I see a lot of salespeople who almost get blinded by their own success. They're doing really well. They've got a lot of deals far on in the pipeline that are going to close and they, you know, they're counting the commission. They forget and take the foot off the gas and what that means is they're basically going to have a problem in two, three, six months down the line. So it's about managing everything and consistently doing all the right behaviors. And that's just discipline. You know, it's like anything. If you want to get in shape, go to the gym three times a week and eat healthy. It, it, it's not rocket science, but it's it's super difficult sometimes to stick to those things and have the discipline. And if you have that discipline, you know, you, you, you will be, like you said, almost guaranteed success in sales. And, and not to plug people like you and me, but that's where a coach comes in. Or uh, it doesn't even have to be a paid coach, an accountability partner, somebody who's going to hold you accountable because uh, I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I'm, I find that my clients are my best source of business intelligence. And they often surprise me with what I think they're getting out of working with me. They come up with something different, which is great to know because then you can use that whenever you're talking. Uh, one of the things I learned uh, She's about three years ago after doing a long consulting engagement with a sales organization. At the end, I'm interviewing all the sales managers and asking them, you know, what, what went well, what didn't well, what could I have done better? You know, what'd you like the best? And uh, it was amazing to me that the thing that they said they liked the best was that once I worked with their team, their salespeople had more confidence. Never occurred to me that I help salespeople be more confident. So of course, that's something I can use every single time. And, and um, if we're not aware of what we bring to the table, and it's very hard to share that with, with um, the people that we're trying to sell to. What, what about, uh, oh, by the way, uh, Bruce Gassman says the same thing with him about coffee. He can't get it done until, uh, and it looks like Jason Collins too. So you're among good friends with the coffee. Good company, and, uh, somebody saying, interesting that you mentioned systems. My sales coach recommends systems all the time. What about systems? Uh, uh, what about systems, Stu? You know, it, do we have to have a system for everything? Are, are, are we little robots or? Uh... I, it's the execution of the system, isn't it? That, that's where the human element comes into that. But I think having a system is important. Like we said, you know, the prospecting. I'm a big believer in the multi-channel approach. You might never respond to a cold call, Jeff. I might just never get you on the phone. You know, you might be the kind of guy that just doesn't take cold calls and that's fine. But you might respond to email or you might be really interested in a voice note or you might want to, you might reply to a, a personalized, you know, video it's about meeting your prospects where they are, but you need that systematic approach or else things fall through the cracks. You miss things, you know, it's human nature, you make mistakes. If you don't have that system, the human element comes in the execution of that system. It's not robotic, it's just guiding you what you need to do. And then sales is that human element of you executing that system. And then, you know, in the best possible manner, 
and doing that. So I, I have the systems for as many things as possible. You know, I, I am a disorganized person probably naturally, but I've had to get way more organized and get way more processes and systems in place to help me. Or else, like you said, before I know it, I've procrastinated for 15 minutes and done nothing. You know, you can kill yourself in t very quickly if you don't know what you're doing and what you need to get out of that time. So, yeah, I'm a massive advocate of having, you know, those systems and disciplines in place for sure. Absolutely. Um, what about emails? We talked about voicemails. Why don't, why don't we our emails get answered? Is it the same reason it's all about us or is there something else? That, that is part of it. But the other thing is people are just getting inundated with emails. And look, I get prospected semi-regularly. People will email me and prospect me and I get way more emails and I get cold calls. So, you know, that's the first thing. If you want to stand out from the crowd, pick up the phone because most people aren't. They're hiding behind emails. I think if we say this year, you know, start January 1, I'll have had close to 500 emails prospecting me from various different people. I've had less than half a dozen cold calls. Hmm. So first and foremost, if you want to cut through the noise, pick up the phone. However, email can work. But what people do is they look for shortcuts. They have these, you know, cadence and tools now where they can send out 500 emails with what they claim to be personalization, where it'd be like, hey, Jeff, noticed your VP of sales at such and such a company. That's not personalization. And people see through that immediately. We have what we call ultra personalized emails that we send. And I talk a little bit about it in the book. But we have at the moment, it's a 42% response rate to email number one when it's a really personalized email. Wow. And what that is, it's a simple structure. First two paragraphs are personalized to that individual, something we've noticed about them, something we've read about them, something that demonstrates that email can only be written for them. The third line is the value proposition, which again is about problems that people in their position have. The fourth is a call to action. And then we have a PS at the end, which again is another demonstration of some personalization um, that we found about that prospect. Now they take time, they take 10 to 15 minutes to write those emails, but we get a 42% response rate. So it's worth investing that time. Yeah, and it, it's often incredibly easy to find something that shows that you're talking directly to them. I once yeah. had a client who says, Jeff, I, I gotta get through this guy. He, he, won't, he won't connect with me on LinkedIn, won't answer a call, nothing's working. So I said, okay, great. We were actually on a Zoom call. I said, let's take a look at his LinkedIn profile together. It only took a second before I realized what we needed because his profile picture was him sitting on a horse. <laughs> it, it took two seconds. I'm like, how about we write to him? And, uh, here, watch. I'm going to do it as I, as because the guy wouldn't accept his connection. I said, I let watch how I'm going to connect with this guy. Wow, you don't often see somebody on LinkedIn sitting on a horse. Immediately, the guy was connected to me. I mean, it, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take a genius, and it doesn't take a heck of a lot of effort. But it's worth that effort, like you said. Maybe it takes ten or fifteen minutes to write one email. But if you're getting forty-two percent of those returned. That's crazy. That's crazy high. And by the way, I want, you know, I return every voicemail for two reasons. One is because I know what it's like to not get your voicemails returned. So I think it's just polite. It only takes a few seconds to say, hey, thanks for calling, but I'm not really a good prospect for you. But for me, and you could use this too, is I'll typically call somebody back, listen to what they have to say and say something like, wow, you know, Stu, you're really, really good at this. Is there a manager I could speak to to compliment you on what you did? And they're always happy to give you their manager's contact information. The next thing I'm doing is, hey, Stu, you know, this is Jeff Goldberg. I just talked to your guy, Bob. Uh, I'm actually a sales coach. Would you like some feedback? I've actually gotten business that way. Nice. That's a nice I, re tip. I return every call. What about, um, and this is another question I get all the time. Um, 
you know, often a, a decision maker who is the person we want to speak with is protected by a gatekeeper, an administrative assistant, something like that. Any any tips on how we can get through to that decision maker when there is a gatekeeper? Yeah, and it's a, it's a constant challenge, and none of these tips are you know the silver bullet. It is still a difficult situation to get past them. But I do have some tips. I've had my fair share of duels with gatekeepers over the years. My first thing is, if you all, all the listeners think, what is a gatekeeper going to ask you? It's normally one of three questions. Where are you calling from? What do you want? You know, something like that. So what I try to do, and this is with, true with most objections, is disarm those objections before they can ask them. So I take those questions off the table. So if you were a gatekeeper, Jeff, I'd ring you and say, hey, Jeff, this is Stu calling from Alego. Is Bob around? I sound familiar that like I want to speak to them. But normally they say, who's calling? What do you want? If they say, what do you want, which is the normal go-to question, I like that because what I'll say, oh, it's about the performance of the sales team. Is that something you can help me with, Jeff? And what they do is they go, ah, no, 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 that's not me. You do need to speak to Bob. All right, can you put me through? Thanks. And that works really well because gatekeepers, it's like a pattern interrupt because gatekeepers, it's, it must be taught at gatekeeper school. I don't think this place exists, but they all say, who are you calling? Where are you calling from? Who are you? Will he be expecting your call? They're the kind of go-to questions that they ask. So if you can try and disarm those questions out the gate and just disarm them a little bit, you've got a far greater chance. It's then that, that familiarity, trying to get transferred through helps. But also sometimes asking for help can be a strategy. You know, here, Jeff, I'm really trying to speak with Bob about the performance of the sales team. I, I think we could help. Could you could you help me out with that a little bit? You know, that curious nature of trying to get some help can, 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 can be um, advantageous when doing that as well. The other thing... The dreaded thing that gatekeepers will say, oh, sorry, we don't take sales calls or we don't transfer calls. Somebody says to me, we don't take sales calls. A line I use all of the time, and I use this to negotiate everything from a new car to carpets in the house if somebody says they don't do a discount, is have you made, ever made an exception? And what that does is people think to a time when they might have or could they, and it just gets them thinking about the possibility of it happening. Now, it doesn't work every time, but... It's all marginal gains here. That might get you through one in 10 more than what you do today, which is great. You know, you've improved your, your, your chances there by 10%. So those are just some little tips that I tend to do with gatekeepers, but it's definitely a challenge. The other thing is that we try to do now is circumvent them. You know, you can get some great tools that give mobile numbers now as well. So if you can avoid them, then that is also a great tip, but it's not always possible, I get that. Yeah, also remember that you know, the gatekeeper's job is to keep people like us away. And what they do, and you said it, they gain control of the conversation by asking us questions. So you're taking away that control by telling them right up front. Here's, because what do they ask? Who's calling? What's this with regards to? So by telling them up front, uh, you, you are taking away that power. And the, the other thing I do is, you know, if you want to control a conversation, you have to be the one asking the question. So when you answer the gatekeeper's question, this is Jeff Goldberg from Jeff Goldberg Associates, is he in or is she in or put me through please uh and i love yours you know did you did you ever make an exception i i didn't think of that one but i'll be using that in the future i love it let me know how it goes <laughs> I, I sure will what about uh social media uh you know everybody talks about social media like it's the be all and end all and i i think again it should be part of every salesperson's mix how can today's sellers leverage social platforms especially to me the, the biggest one for salespeople is linkedin Massively. I think any salesperson who's not leveraging LinkedIn is missing a massive opportunity and an opportunity that's only going to grow, in my opinion. I think LinkedIn is still in its infancy in terms of the the, the potential that it has. Um, but the best way is to give you a story of now I very rarely prospect my, my role, but I get a lot of people coming to me through my LinkedIn network. And a lot of the people I have conversations 
we'll say things to me like, oh, I've seen your posts, Stu, that you did about X, Y, and Z, and it really resonated that I got in touch. Most of those people that say that, right, never like on the, never like the post. They never comment on the post. They're what I call lurkers. So a lot of people say, oh, I put posts out there, and people never like them. They never comment on them. But a lot of people are still seeing that in the background, and that's building your credibility. That's getting your message out there, and that's you know showing you. Sometimes a trusted advisor, you can tell stories of people you've helped. You can educate your audience, and it's such an easy sale. It's it's like it's like a referral. You know, when we all love a referral. If you get a referral into somebody else, you know you've got a really good chance of closing that in any line of business. If somebody comes to you through your LinkedIn network, that's followed you for three months, loved your content. You know, they feel like they know you already. So you've got that familiarity and you've got that relationship. It's an absolute slam dunk to win new customers. But also it opens doors like this, Jeff. You know, I wouldn't be doing this. I wouldn't be doing, I wouldn't have wrote the book. I wouldn't be working with Sales Impact Academy and all the opportunities that this has provided really have come from me being disciplined enough to comment and make posts on LinkedIn three, four times a week. It's opened so many doorways for me. I, you know, I, I think anybody is, is crazy not to be leveraging that as a salesperson. I, I love what you just said. So many, so, so many salespeople use LinkedIn, but use it the absolute wrong way, which is I reach out to you because I want to sell you something. You connect with me. And the next thing you know, I'm immediately pitching you something. That's the worst way to use LinkedIn. Like you, I, I get 40% of my business from LinkedIn. And like you, it's people raising their hand and saying, I want to talk to you, Jeff, instead of me having to reach out to them because I'm doing exactly what you are, content marketing. Simply Absolutely. giving advice away for free that I charge people for on a regular basis because I love it when they call me and say exactly what you just said. Hey, Jeff, I've been following you for a while and I really like what you said. Can we talk about coaching or can we talk about training or something like that? They're, they're making the sale for you. It makes your life easy. I, I think anybody who's not using content marketing on LinkedIn is crazy. The other thing is, it, it, like with cold calling, you have to be consistent. So you said three, four times a week. Uh, I, I spoke to a guy just yesterday who said, yeah, I'm using LinkedIn to develop business. My question was, how's it going? He goes, nothing, not, not one thing. I said, well, how often do you post? He goes, once every week or two. I'm like, no, 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 no. If you're going to develop an, I mean, what we're trying to do on LinkedIn is become known as, you said, trusted advisor or a thought leader. We want people yeah. to say, this guy, Stu, knows what he's talking about when it comes to prospecting or sales. Well, you only do that by posting consistently and giving generous, generously. You mentioned a word earlier uh, that comes up all the time now, and I think there's some confusion around it, and that word is cadence. So how do you define what is a cadence and how do we develop one for prospecting effectively? Yeah, so, so a cadence is a, is a sequence of steps that you use to try and get somebody's attention from a prospecting angle. Um, it's probably the best way I can define it. And in my experience, that should be multiple dif different methods. So cold calling would be an example of one of the steps in there. Voicemail will be a step. Email will be a step. Voice note will be a step. Text message could be a step. You name it, whatever. That will be a step in your cadence. Um, and there's so many different people who will say you need 15 steps or you need 21 steps or there's so many different reports you know, out there about what works, but the best way to do it is, is test everything. Have two running side by side and iterate. If one's outperforming the other, ditch the other one, go with that one, then make another iteration of that and test them again. And you're constantly tweaking that cadence to see what works. But also a lot of tools will let you know what each step of that sequence is yielding in terms of results. So if you've got a particular email that's not performing well, change it. Or if you realize this isn't working well, change it. That's just being smart. You know, it's almost been bringing an element of science to sales. The one thing we can say black and white is 
the customer or the prospect decides what works. You and I can sit here and say we've wrote the best email ever. We could then send it to 100 people and none reply. That's not the best email ever. The prospect decides, so you getting the feedback from them about what's working means you can actually tweak that and try and make that you know more powerful and, and you know get yield better results when you do it. So that's a cadence in my mind. I don't think there is a perfect cadence. Everybody's different. You want to be iterating and building that cadence out. And ours is, you know, the one we've got at the Lego has been eight years in progress and it'll change next week and it'll change the week after and we'll try and keep improving that and making it better. Sometimes we have to take steps back. You know, what was working three months ago was better and we take a step back, but we're constantly trying to push that envelope and make it better. That's great. Uh, you mentioned something earlier and I forgot to comment on it, but it just popped back into my mind. You talked about how you get very few cold calls these days. So very few people are doing it. So that's a good way to stand out. Here's another one, direct mail. Almost you know, nobody's using direct mail anymore. It's a yeah. great way to stand out because it, it's like handwritten thank you notes. When I was being coming up in sales, you sent a handwritten thank you note to every prospect before you meet with them and after you meet with them. It was all about sending handwritten thank you notes. Nobody does that anymore. Nobody, because email is so efficient because it goes immediately. I send an email thank you note, but also a handwritten thank you note. So handwritten thank you notes, direct mails, great ways to stand out. And another way to talk about standing out is video prospecting. Tell, tell us a little bit about how, how can we best use video when prospecting. Yeah, and, and again, it's just another channel. Some people will never respond to a video and they'll never reply. Others love videos, but it's not about you. It's about your prospect. So you've got to try all the different elements to see what can you know capture their attention. But video is a little bit different, again, because less people are doing it. There's not as many people sending videos. But also, you can't fake a video and send it to a 1,000 people if it's personalized. Right. So automatically, when somebody sends me a video or even a voice note on LinkedIn, I know they've taken the time to send that to me. It's not in a sequence that has gone to a thousand people. So I know there's that personalized element. So I, a little bit like you reply to every voicemail, I will always reply to every video prospecting message that I get because somebody's gone to that effort to do it and they've cut through the noise. And again, I think I've probably got 15 to 20 this year. So not a massive amount, one a week or so, maybe it's one and a half a week, something like that on average. So I don't get many, but I reply to them all because it's just different. You're cutting through the noise. I think one of the big things... That's worked really well for us in terms of prospecting. It's just being atypical. Be a little bit brave. Be willing to do things different to other people. And that, you know, what helps you cut through the noise and get the attention of your prospect. And if that's videos, it's handwritten notes, whatever that might be, then you've got to try all of these things to see what works. Yeah, I, I think, hang on, let me grab something. Uh, uh, one of the tips I have for video prospecting is you buy yourself one of these little whiteboards yeah. And uh, so if I was doing it to you, it would say, hello, Stu, how are sales? And, yeah. and you're holding you're holding this up at the beginning of the video. And the reason for that is because when the person sees the video thumbnail embedded in the email, they're going to see that first shot. And they see when it says, hey, Stu, how are sales? You know, I'm talking direct. I didn't send that to 50 unless I have a list of 1500 Stu's that I'm sending it to, which I don't have. So, yeah, it's just one more way to stand out. What about uh, text messages? Do you feel text messages are appropriate today for prospecting? This, this is an interesting topic. This is an interesting topic. And we're very much an exploratory conversation with this with WhatsApp messages and texts. So we have got some cadences that we're running at the moment, which incorporate them. And it's really polarizing. Um, we either get brilliant results or we almost get a ticking off from some of the prospects. Like, I don't know you. This is this is too, you know, too informal. Um, so the jury's out for me. Um, the results are good, but it's also burning a lot of bridges because people feel like it's too much too soon. 
So we're still trialing with it in a certain in a small a small number of prospects that we do, but the jury is 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 firmly still out for for us. But again, as I mentioned to you about any step in the cadence, we're willing to try this. The, the prospect will decide if this works or not, not me. We're just trying to see what that feedback is and gathering that feedback. And it'll it'll differ for your organization as well, but it's definitely one worth trying, I think. And, you know, we're giving some focus and attention at the moment, but we're, we're not sold on it yet 100%. We're still, we're still testing the waters. Got it. Um, one of the last chapters in your book, and again, it's called Problem Prospecting. You can get it on Amazon, everyone. It's a great book. Um, one of the last chapters talks about a prospector's tech stack. What is the prospector's tech stack? Great question. And, and probably going against... The company I work for and working in software and tech, often the best prospecting tech stack is is the leanest one. I see the opposite in a lot of organizations now where salespeople have too much in terms of a tech stack. You know, salespeople are expected to manage upwards of 10 tools sometimes, and it's just overwhelming. You know, the, the, the best tech stack, really, if you've got nothing else, you can still be super successful with a phone and an, an email. You don't need much else. Or arguably things like cadencing tools, you know, that have automated this, have actually made the jobs and the lives of salespeople harder because so many people are spamming thousands of emails now. It's harder to actually stand out because people are inundated. So tech stack, there's definitely tools that can help. You know, you can do various different things out there, but I think the fundamentals are more important. Get your messaging right, get your copy right, get a good coach that can help you. Look at those things first, right? And then start looking at how you can ramp that up. A lot of people do the opposite, and you know they've got a machine gun when they're firing out millions of bullets, but they're all off target. They need to find that messaging first, get that right, and then try and amplify that. And I think that's the key. So probably contrary to what a lot of people would expect, but I think tech stacks should actually be leaner than what they are for most salespeople. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a big fan of that shotgun approach. Uh, uh, one of the things that I, I get annoyed, and this is just personal, you know, when you call me and you're clearly using an auto dialer, because, you know, my phone rings, I pick it up, I say, hi, this is Jeff. Then there's that three or four second pause before you come on. I, I, I want to shoot the person. I I, 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 re I really have a, I feel for salespeople because I've been one for so long and I know what it's like to have somebody who doesn't want to talk to you, hangs up on you, swear, whatever they're going to do. But if you call me on an auto dialer, I'm not listening to what you have to say. Yeah. I, if you if you can, If you can't pick up the phone and dial it yourself and actually, when I... One of the things that really makes me crazy, I always answer the phone the same way. Good morning, this is Jeff, or good afternoon, this is Jeff. And they go, hi, is this Jeff? I just I said my that. name. Yeah. I just said this is Jeff. Oh, stop it. You're killing me, man. You're killing yeah. me. Yeah, definitely. Get it. Uh, Jason Collins is asking, what about texting the video messages to prospects? Nice. We've not really tried it, Jason, to be honest. It's a good idea. We'll, we'll have to give that a whirl and put it in the cadence, but it's a really good shout. We've not tried it, so I've got no data on it. It sounds like a good idea. I think it's worth it's worth trying, but I've got no no data on it to, to see whether it works or not. Have you? I'd be curious. Have you used it? Be good to not. go. Not yet. Or if Jason has even just a comment, if it's something he's Jason, used. If you've used it, let us know, please. Jason's in financial services and great at it. Um, you suggest that we should never ask a prospect ask a prospect a, a question that we already know the answer to. Why not? Various different reasons, but are you wasting time? We all know as a salesperson, you've got a finite amount of time with your prospect, and you need to pick those questions carefully to be as effective as possible. And where are you in the world, Jeff, is a lazy question that you can find out very quickly. You need to be doing a bit of research in advance, but it also demonstrates that you've done that research in advance. So, you know, you've put some time and effort into that prospect and you've learned about them. 
And I don't know about anybody else, but the sales leaders on here who get sold to, my pet hate is somebody jumping on the call and saying, tell me about your role. Well, it's not rocket. You know what my role is. If you sell to people like me, you should know what the problems are that I have. So you need to be the expert and you need to be coming to me with that. And that question is just all about the salesperson. I don't get any value out of that as a prospect. So that little bit of research goes a long way. You need to use every question strategic, strategically to have the max, maximum impact. And I think asking questions like that start to annoy people, but it's also the quickest way to make discovery or sales discovery an interrogation because you're just firing questions that look like they've come from a sheet of paper at somebody. And that turns prospects off so quickly. So yeah, if I always say to the team, anything you can find out on LinkedIn in 10 minutes or on a quick Google search, never be asking that question. You should know that and you should know about the prospect and their likely, you know, their likely responsibilities in that role. Yeah, yeah, like you said, ask them what their location is. If you can't figure that out before you get on the call, that's crazy. The one I, I'll talk to just about anybody, but don't waste my time. Yeah. I believe salespeople need to protect their time viciously, like like a mother lion protects her cubs. And I'll talk to you, but don't waste my time. I, I lose patience very, very quickly when you're asking me stupid stuff that you absolutely could have found out with a quick Google search. It's, it's, it's crazy. And Jason says he's going to put the video uh, texting to use and he's going to let us know. Right, Jason, we'll be looking for that. Um, why should we not ask prospects, do you have any questions? Because there's so many better questions you can ask. You know, the obvious answer to that first and foremost is, no, that's fine. I've got everything I need. You don't get any value from that question. You know, if you if I show you part of our solution, so I might say, Jeff, you told me that this was your problem and this is something you're looking to solve. Here's our solution, how it solves it. If I said to you, have you got any questions after that? No, no, that's fine. That looks good. Whereas if I said, how would you imagine using this, Jeff? Or, you know, what impact do you think that would have on solving your problem? Questions like that start to get you talking and selling the product to yourself. So any questions is just a lazy, lazy question, which I think we should eradicate from sales if we can. Yeah, you also talk about uh, you, you also talk about you know finding the pain, and you say there's a difference between first, second, and third level pain. What what, what are the differences? Yeah, so first level pain will be the example you shared, Jeff. You know, salespeople get frustrated, or sales leaders get frustrated because deals are not closing quick enough. That will be surface level pain. Trying to dig into that further will be what's the impact of that to the business? What does that mean to the business? That will be a you know a second level pain in my opinion, and then the third level pain is what does that mean to them personally? So what is that stopping them from doing? If you can solve that, Jeff, what would it mean for you? You know, and I get our team to try and sell like that and tie it to their personal motivations. I, I just jumped off a call where I shadowed one of our reps where he asked that very question, you know, difficult question to ask you here, Jeff, but what happens if you don't solve this? He was like, well, I probably won't have a job in three months. Okay, so it's pretty urgent and then we need to get this solved. That yeah. would be a pain point. Exactly, yeah, and that's, that's the real personal motivation. And, you know, I'm sure everybody here watching, people, we've had this conversation before, but, you know, people buy on emotion and justify intellectually. And it's getting them emotional about that, getting the pain, getting the emotion, because pain in itself is not enough. There's got to have that motivation to want to change that. And I've got loads of things that are not ideal and are not perfect, but I haven't got the, you know, the bandwidth or the time to change all of those problems. We need to find out how big that problem is and, and, and help the prospect, you know, be motivated to solve it. Because the biggest threat to any salesperson is not competition. It's the status quo. It's not doing anything. 
you know, staying as they are. And when you get really deep into the pain, you're getting the prospect to see A, what the future could look like if they solved it, but B, more importantly, what it would look like if they didn't. You know, what's the pain of that if they don't solve it? So it's really important that you try to dig into the pain and find out, you know, what that means to the prospect. And that's how you can drive urgency in your deals. I love what you just said, that it's all about the status quo, because I, I agree that is every salesperson's biggest competitor. It's whatever the prospect is doing now. And those are the questions we need to be asking to find out what are they doing now regarding what we have to offer them, because then and only then can we show them a better way, hopefully a better way. And people buy things, people invest money in things because it makes sense to do those things. Well, we have to discover what makes sense to them in order to show them how we're going to make better sense and hopefully have them choose to buy from us. Bruce is asking, uh, what about just coming right out and asking about their pain points? Is that a question that you would ask? Tell me about your pain points. I wouldn't ask that question, Bruce, but what I would say, I would reframe that and I would position pain points that people I work with likely have if you're getting stuck. So it's almost that elevator pitch again. So you go back and you say, hey, Jeff, I don't know your world, but I speak with you know sales trainers like yourself and they're telling me they're bumping into a couple of issues, A and B. Are any of those familiar in your world? So I'm not saying tell me about your pain points because I think that's a lazy question. And you know, some salespeople say, what keeps you up at night? Well, it's another like, Yeah, so I, I, I am not a fan of that, but I think you can kind of position the problems that people likely have and then get them to talk about it. And that's a better way of doing that rather than just saying, what are your pain points? Because for me, it, it, it's lazy sales practice just to ask people pain points. Plus, if somebody jumps on a call and says to me, what's your pain points? I would switch off, yeah. That would, yeah, that would yeah. Here's, another, here's another one I don't like. Uh, if I could wave a magic wand and clear up three <laughs> problems for you, what would they be? Uh, yeah. it, it, it's, my, my mortgage, my, uh, yeah, because it would be completely different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I once uh, gave that uh, instruction in front of a room full of salespeople. We had 40 salespeople on a team sitting there. I said, here's one question I never, ever want you to ask, ever. If I had a magic wand and could wave it and get rid of three things for you, what three things would you change? And the entire room went dead silent. I said, did I say something wrong? And the CEO who was sitting right in front said, I taught them to ask that question. I'm like, that's why you got me here, my friend. <laughs> uh, uh, we've only got time for one more question. And I think I'm going to go with the, the one that you just brought up, which is people buy with emotion, but they back it up with logic. How do we get our prospects emotional? I think about really digging into that pain point and letting them, you know, what the what people don't do a good job job of is getting prospects to imagine what the cost of doing nothing is or what the problem of doing nothing is. Like you said, status quo is the biggest thing. And I think you need to make somebody aware of the cost of doing nothing. Everybody sees the cost of changing in terms of it's going to cost X number of dollars to buy this solution. But what is the cost of doing nothing? And then also tying it back to their personal motivation. That's getting people emotional so that they're actually willing to make that decision. So it, it all ties back you know, to, to this this problem-centric approach that we talked about, but also digging into the pain. That's, you know, trying to create urgency in the deal, which is difficult to do and get people emotional so things get done. Yeah, I think it's also important that, that salespeople realize that almost nobody takes a meeting with a salesperson because they like talking to salespeople. Yeah. The reason they're talking to you or me or any salesperson is because they do have some pain there. They do have some need. They've got something that's going on that says, I, I think we could do better I need a solution. So it, 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 you're halfway there just when you've got the meeting. And then by asking them the right questions instead of pitching, I think that's really the key to sales. You know, so many 
so many people believe that it's all about your great presentation or your strong closing skills. I completely disagree. Those are nice to have. You know, you and I are professional presenters, and I'm sure that you know how to strong close too. Look, I sold Encyclopedia Britannica door to door for eight years. I know how to strong close people. That was 45 years ago. You know, it doesn't work anymore. It's really about just how do you have a great conversation with somebody and help them choose to do business with you by leading a great conversation. Yeah, it's trying to help people. It's trying to help people, Jeff. I think that's what sales needs to be, helping people solve those challenges. And that point you mentioned, I know we're coming short of time, but whenever I have a meeting with somebody, whether that's being booked by inbound or outbound, however that is, one of my first go-to questions is, what made you agree to the call with a salesperson today, Jeff? That gets you straight to so many problems. It expedites that whole discovery process and often just opens that can and don't get you so much information because you're right. Nobody just books time with a salesperson for the fun of it. Yeah. I got nothing else to do. Let me go talk to an insurance salesperson or, or a sales trainer or something like that. That doesn't happen. People are busy. Wow. I could talk to you all day, Stu. Um, if people do want to talk to you, how can they reach you or your company? Yeah, hit me up on a on LinkedIn. I say I'm I'm very um, vocal on LinkedIn. I post regularly. It's Stuart Taylor at Allegro. You'll find me easy with a quick Google search, or we can we can share the link. Um, I'm on. If anybody has any questions or wants to connect, you can drop me an email. It's staylor at allegro.com, which is a double l e g o dot com. Uh, more than happy to get in touch. My phone numbers on my LinkedIn. If anybody wants to practice a phone, a call, call. Give me give me a buzz. Um, but yeah, it'd be great to connect with as many people as possible, you know, in this network and like-minded professionals who are trying to get better. So yeah, connect with me and hit me up. And before we go, I just have to say one more thing because you just said it. Please, if you're on LinkedIn, put your contact information in there. Don't make it hard for people to find you. Right in the about section, it should start out with your phone number and your email address and your website. Make it easy for people to do business with you. It's crazy that they don't. Stu, I could talk to you all day, my friend, but thank you so much uh, for sharing your audience generously. I really appreciate it. And I'll end as I do every week, which is sales is a game of making things happen. So get out there and make sales happen. Thank you, Stu. Thank you, everybody. Have a great weekend. Have a great weekend.